to Feminist Buzzkills, the show that would like to thank Nisi Nash and also accepts this award on behalf of every black and brown woman who's gone unheard yet over-policed. I'm Liz Winstead, and I'm joined by my co-host, Moji Alawodale. Hey, y'all. Today, Washington, D.C. had to endure the Lollapalooza of fetus fanfiction, a.k.a. the March for Life. For the past 50 years, hundreds of thousands of anti-abortion zealots gather in the nation's capital for a who's who of who wants to hijack your junk. Joining us to break down this Bonnaroo of bigots, boy, we got a lot of musical puns in here. We really do. Is <laughs> <laughs> our resident extremist whisperer, AEF Programs Director Kristen Haiti. We'll lay out the history of the march, bring you a play-by-play replete with the creepiest sound bites, and let you know what it all means for their schemes in 2024. And we know part of their plans are to continue to criminalize pregnancy. And here to talk about this terrifying and growing strategy is scholar and author of the upcoming book, The Pregnancy Police, Conceiving Crime, Arresting Personhood, Grace Howard. What a show. It's a big show. It's a really big show. We've got a lot to get to, Liz. I know. I was gone. I'm bummed I was gone, but y'all killed it last week. Oh, we missed you, but Dukes was here and they did the most, the best. We had so many guests. You had so many guests and also just like really big, hard topics. And I felt like it was really, really great. I miss y'all, but I was, you know, I had to catch up on my actual other job. We said you were on assignment. I was on assignment um, trying to like catch up on abortion access front work. It was the least fun assignment ever. And, you know, I'm excited to drill down on March for Life. But like of all the weeks that you've had, Moji, you have March for Life today. Yeah. And then last night you had a night. Uh, did you lose a bet? <laughs> I feel like I lost a bet or I sacrificed some the wrong thing to the wrong God. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. made the wrong sacrifice and, and then I became the sacrifice. So. so tell people what this big sacrifice that you did something so we wouldn't have to was last night. I went to see the organization Moms for Liberty speak at a town hall in New York City on the island of Manhattan. Um, it was wild because when I found out they were going to be there, I was like, oh, crap, they're going to be train stops away from where I'm a public school parent and they're going to be talking in my town. And I thought this was just some crazy shit that happened in Florida. Except uh, here it is. And so before you tell what happened, what was the attendance like? Was it hugely packed? Because that would scare me. No, it was full. It wasn't hugely packed. It wasn't packed to the rafters. It was full. It was, uh, there were maybe- Like 50? There were maybe like 200 seats and I feel like maybe 100 people were there, maybe maybe 150. It, again, we the row that Molly and I were sitting in, there were like four other people in it. Um, and every row was kind of like that, except for in the front, which were the VIPs. Andrew Giuliani was there. <laughs> I heard Andrew Giuliani was there eating fried fish. It was the biggest plate of like cocktail party fish I've seen. And he just, he ate all of it. <laughs> Sitting around people? Yeah. But yeah. also celebrity misanthrope and master of many personalities, George Santos was also in attendance. I was shocked by that. <laughs> yes, he was. We got we got some illicit pictures of him chatting with people in the gays for groomers section of the of the room because uh, at least one representative from there was there. But yeah, it was wild because I didn't expect this in my city. Also, what was really shocking was there was more diversity in that crowd than I would have expected. There were um, more just black and and Latino appearing parents or people than I would have expected that were clearly cheering on the message. 
But like me, there was also a contingent of people who had clearly come to say you're wrong, but we had to blend in or we would have been um, escorted out. So it was only at the end when I was like, oh, there's a fair amount of people here who came literally to counter this bullshit. But you couldn't tell who they were. (laughs) Right, right. What was the creepiest thing you heard? You know, we traffic in bigotry, right? In the in the work that we do, we're aware of a lot of the things that are happening. There were two things that really stuck out to me. The new and exciting bigotry was um, this man, Chris Ellis, or Ellison is his name, from Canada, who has decided that his whole platform is anti-trans. And his theory that jolted me was that trans people don't exist. They're autistic. And they need to treat oh. the autism, not their trans identity. Uh, That was one part that jolted me. There was one woman who was a representative from School District 2 in New York. Maude Marin is her name. And I looked up. She ran for city council uh, last year. She lost, but she's still on the school board. And she said, um, as an aside, as a quip, just casually, she said, a a woman came up to me who said she was a queer person. And then she like looked conspiratorially at the audience and she was like, she's just a straight girl who hasn't found a boyfriend. And I was like, oh, that is old school homophobia. Uh, it's been a while since I've lived with that. It, when she said that, it felt like a jolt. It was. It may sound mild now, but it was impactful. And it was also what was really most chilling about the whole thing was that they said these incredibly homophobic, transphobic, racist things, and then they couched them in this, we're just looking out for the children. Yeah. We're just here. All parents should be able to care for their children and lead their upbringing and guide them in the ways that they want to. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Yes. And then they go. And so we need to stop this harmful gender ideology. And I'm like, oh, oh God. Okay. You're saying. Do they mostly stick to gender? Because they also are so into erasing the history of our nation and its racist foundations and also banning books. Did they touch on that at all? Some man explicitly said that when we're teaching different identities and different beliefs, we're no longer a nation. Yeah, they absolutely went there. That was the racist part. They at no point said explicitly Black people or minorities are inferior. They just said teaching their history is not necessary and it divides the nation. Wow. That was two and a half hours of my evening Thank you for taking that hit for us. I appreciate it. We also have a a clip that Moji captured from the night on our social right now that's gaining a lot of traction um, that I'm not going to tell you what it's about, but it's another new deep dive into their theory. So Moji, thank you for doing that. I also just want to say one other thing. There were dozens of people outside protesting them. And I felt like I was crossing a picket line uh, going in to join the bigots inside. And I applaud all of the New Yorkers who made it their business to yell and make them feel unwelcome in any way in the city. I am so proud of them too. And proud of you for going because it's scary to be in positions like that when you're a person of color and you know that people literally think your history should be erased. So thank you for going and thanks for doing that. And check out the uh, Instagram post. We'll put the link in our show notes. It is wild. But we are going to move on to do our business. But before we do, we have a Patreon birthday. Moji, whose birthday are we celebrating today? We are celebrating our patron, Carrie Clage. Happy birthday, Happy Carrie. It's birthday. your birthday month. That's our January birthday. So excited that we finally are like hitting the folks who yes. have done it. And if you want to support our Patreon, please, please do. You support all of our work and this podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills, sign up for one of our many, many things and get some prizes. So that's that. Let's get on to the business of the March that is life or bullshit anyway. 
Yeah, let's get to it. It's the 50th annual March for Life, the anti-abortion movement's annual assault on reproductive, well, everything, facts and sanity. Joining us to talk about all of it is AAF's program director, Kristen Haiti. Hey, Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Hi, friends. How are you? I'm good. Also, I would like to formally request extremist whisperer be added to my business cards. I like that. Yeah, I like I'll it. Get, I'll get you right know? on that. Because I, yeah, yeah. I really do feel like that's your um, superpower. I think that's your joy in some way. You seem to <laughs> relish in it. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. I feel like our Slack will be like, Dusty Devers is doing this. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> You just feel, I know, I feel like you can really talk to these folks, which is why you are our perfect guest to talk about the March for Life. We're going to sort of lay out a little bit about the history of the march and then give you some news of the week. And then we're going to actually go watch the march. And then we're going to come back and tell you about the march. So we're breaking up this day of marching in um, all of its forms. So I think we talk about the March for Life a lot, but I honestly, for the amount of people that attend and for how huge it is, it's always surprising to me that people aren't quite familiar with like how big it is and what happens at it, right? So I'll just lay out a couple of points. Um, the March started in 1974 as a protest to Roe v. Wade. So this is, as Moji said, the 50th anniversary. It is widely Catholic dominated busloads and busloads of Catholic school kids, high school kids, grade school kids and families come to DC and, and hundreds of thousands of people go to this March. It didn't ever start out as a really small March. It always started out as this rallying cry. And as we know, when you belong to a church, you can rally shit together mm -hmm. pretty quickly. It's a gathering spot every Sunday, right? And it is a lot of signs. It's a whole weekend of fundraisers for fake clinics, these big marches, smaller rallies, and it's funded by a whole bunch of people, some that you might not expect, right, Moji? Definitely people you don't expect. Um, And I think that's a little bit of why it's so broadly Christian. The primary funder is the Knights of Columbus. They are also the primary funder of ultrasound machines to fake clinics. They've done like 1,500 machines and worth millions of dollars. 72 million to be specific. That is so much money. Ooh. And the Knights of Columbus is a Catholic organization. So as they are the primary funder of this and basically leading the charge, that explains why a lot of Catholic organizations bring themselves there. I have to say, too, we um, did a protest at a fake clinic in Pittsburgh uh, a couple of years back. And when we did research on this fake clinic, there was a news article in the Pittsburgh paper that had one of these ultrasound machines that was donated by the Knights of Columbus. And they were all, it was all men standing around this machine in this fake clinic. And the Archbishop of Pittsburgh was spreading holy water on the uh, ultrasound machine. So a bunch of people who will never, ever get anyone pregnant. Yeah, it's it's a mess. And if you want to know how we got to this horrible place, they have centered and featured as speakers some really nefarious people. Kristen, who are just so, some of the the bad actors who have stood on that stage and preached before hundreds of thousands and of people. And your baseball card of antis. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Where to start? You know, we obviously have Frank Pavone. I mean, obvious to us. But Frank Pavone, one, he was defrocked because even you know, the clergy didn't want him. But this man in 2016 took 
a fetus and put it on an altar when he was protesting Hillary Clinton's nomination. Like it's, it is wild. And you have Yikes. people like Randall Terry. Yes. And you have like Randall Terry who founded Operation Rescue. Frank Pavone's rhetoric. He was also at January 6th. Um, and he also said, you know, we are in a war with people and we need to fight it as a war. So he was like at, you know, just very loud and proud about J6. And his behavior is so shitty, literally, that the Pope was like, you're done being a priest. I'm throwing you out. It's unbelievable. Took it off and swapped it for his leather jacket. He was ready. They invite everybody. They invited Marjorie Taylor Greene and the whole Freedom Caucus. Anybody in Congress who was anti-abortion, they invited on stage a couple of years ago and they just all stood there. Like all the people who've, you know, called for the death penalty for people who have abortions or provide abortions. It was a who's who of who's coming for you. And it was really scary. And these are supposed to be the like public face, the nice, presentable, shiny, happy people. Presentable people like Randall Terry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the excellent um, Operation Rescue founder who has done dozens and dozens of, you know, clinic blockades and has been involved in helping bring back the rescue movement and reignite that. And, you know, the current activist, he's great. He's a real small guy. He's really flaming the um, violent rhetoric that really inspires people to feel they are anointed by God to harm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that the March for Life has given a voice to a lot of people like that. And let's not forget, in 2014, uh, they had speaking on stage, Ruben Verastigwe, whose name you might not know, but who is somebody who was speaker at the March for Life, was part of Students for Life, was part of the Texas Right to Life, was also worked for the RNC. He was arrested on, I think it was 11 counts of child pornography for trafficking in and distributing. I read somewhere he he had 1,500 pieces of child pornography found in his possession around the time he was arrested. That's disgusting. Horrifying. Yeah, he was one of their youth leaders, you know. And that same year, also a guy from Texas Right to Life was their comps director also found with so much underage porn. So, you know, they they don't care what people do. They just care that they can be oppressing people. And then Patriot Front uh, has been marching with them for the past few years, providing yeah. the muscle for the march. Last year, Patriot Front went right to the front of the march and was like, we're here. There's actually video of people like, oh, thanks for being here. We're really glad to see you. Like, you can't deny. Were there any Black people saying that? Because <laughs> if you ask I know, that, that was question, a ridiculous you... question. That was a ridiculous <laughs> question. I'm like, oh, you, uh, you show me Patriot Front and then I'm running the other way because I am not safe. Yeah. I know. Who wants a group of white nationalists? Yeah, Patriot Front is is one of those big white nationalist organizations like Proud Boys, like the Three Percenters, like the Oath Keepers. And Patriot Front has been literally at the front and been working in communion in Washington State, in Illinois, at the March for Life with anti-abortion extremists, providing security a lot of times for when they're protesting at clinics, they will be the security for them and working with OSA and other organizations who are 
really terrifying. And so it's like, if you see people as bodyguards for like, like when you're, when you are the white nationalist bodyguards, you're some scary shit. They're the ones that dress identically like bros, right? They were like, yeah. And they cover their, cover faces. their faces. Yes. Yeah, it's they very like terrifying. A lot of U-Hauls. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Really yeah. scary. So that's kind of who they are, what they do. If you want to learn more about March for Life, we have a whole exposure website called Hypocrites Unmasked, where we lay out the different organizations in the anti-abortion movement. And we lay out a lot there. So go to Hypocrites Unmasked. We'll put the link in the show notes. But let's get to 2024, right? Because this is a weekend thing that they do. They can't Kicked it off yesterday with uh, the the defrocked priests organization teamed up with uh, some folks for something called uh, the Show the Truth rally, which was a protest uh, at the White House. This is a rally where they normally say the quiet part out loud, but um, Kristen, it seems like this year they didn't have the crowds they were expecting. It seemed like a whimper. Yeah, I feel like rally is being generous. Uh, it was. <laughs> so sad. There were so few people there. A couple of organizations that are always out there, like Created Equal. And this was put on by like Priests for Life, which includes Frank Pavone and the White Rose Resistance. And who are they? Uh, So the White Rose Resistance, one, that came from Nazi Germany. So there were two siblings, Hans Scholl and Sophie Scholl. So they led a student resistance against Nazi Germany, and ultimately they were executed for it. And they called their resistance White Rose Resistance. So naturally, anti-abortion advocates say, hey, that sounds like us. We're doing that exact same thing right now. And there's some of those people know how to appropriate. I will give them that. They know how to appropriate. And they go hard for it. They really go balls to the wall. (laughs) It is so gross. And it was founded by Seth Gruber, who his mother was a CPC director. And they're trying to make it into this huge incendiary movement. And that includes not just abortion, but they're anti-trans and homophobic. And they are just trying to be... We are the front lines and they also talk about going to war and, you know, dying for your beliefs. And that's what these people are. So what does White Rose Resistance even do in their like day to day or month to month operations? They're outside getting into conversations. They're showing up to school boards and they are protesting outside of clinics, helping get clinics not able to open locations. They're just doing a lot of awful things everywhere. So are they growing? Are they big? Not yet. They are trying to grow. And I think that's what this is. They are coming out. They're meeting with other organizations. They're traveling the country and they are trying to be a thing. But if their rally yesterday was an indication of anything, they don't seem to be very successful at it yet. And we'll put a clip of who their leadership is and what they do. We have a lot of footage of kind of how they operate. We'll throw that in the show notes so you can see their leader, Seth Gruber, sort of in action. Um, But let's move on to the big show, as they call it. We just wanted to talk a little bit about what was happening today before we get to our coverage of it. So, like, I'm really curious as to what's going to happen at the rally because this year is different for these assholes, right? There's an overwhelming rejection of their extremism. 
and putting a bunch of fire and brimstone people on stage, it's going to be terrible. You know, people are dying on their watch because of these laws. Th these laws are hunting patients down. They've created trans boogeymen to attach to their abortion bills because people are still uneducated about trans folks. So they feel a little bit more inclined to vote for an abortion ban if there's something trans attached to it. And these ballot initiatives just keep winning. Yeah, even in the places they expect that they're not going to win, they keep winning. Yeah. So what do you guys think about how they're going to present this year? I think, well, so last year was like a victory lap because they were like, Dobbs is over. But now there's actually more evidence to like what their policies cause. Um, so I think that they're trying to like victory lap on the low. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they're trying to make their followers be enthused like we're winning, even though like you're you're kind of not like you're deeply unpopular. Now that we know what this rhetoric means, we can know that it means not good things for most people. Well, and that kind of sort of comes from who they chose as speakers, right? It's like the speakers that they have on stage, normally they'll have some big headliners that the media then will gravitate towards to watch them. But this year they have like low key mainstream people don't know who they are, but within their circles, the speakers are very popular. I mean, the biggest marquee they have is the current Speaker of the House. <laughs> That's a pretty big marquee. It is, but everyone else, if you're not like us, breathlessly covering what's going on in abortion news and anti-activist news, you don't know who these people are. No, but they are like keynote speakers at all these people's events, and they're the rock, mm -hmm. rock stars mm -hmm. in this movement, which is a flaw in our movement that we don't know who these people are, right? Mm -hmm. And so, Kristen, do you feel like this is like all the more reason to cover this shit? We have to cover it. For so long, I feel like we've buried our head in the sand and all of this has been allowed to flourish. But these are the people that are influencing policy, state policy, national policy, local. They are the people that are creating these abortion hellscapes. So we have to be there. We have to listen to what they're saying. And you also kind of have to listen to what they're not saying for mm -hmm. those dog whistles. Well, they're trying to be PC, but you know exactly what they're planning and here what they have in store for all of us. We have to pay attention. The two major things that we're going to be focusing on when watching this rally are how will they try and sound rational and how will they be able to sound unified. So let's start with the rational part. Kristen, like, what do you think they're going to do to make them sound like appealing to suburban soccer moms? Well, I can tell you that they are definitely going to avoid talking about banning birth control and IVF, mm -hmm. all of those things that are actually really popular with people and that they try and hide that they are against. A lot of these people believe that hormonal birth control our actual abortifacients and that IVF is murder, they are not going to talk about that, even though that is a platform and those are their beliefs. I mean, that's what they argued in Hobby Lobby, right? And it just, it's a mm -hmm. good reminder to tell people that when the anti-abortion Hobby Lobby lawyers argued about it, if there was not women on the Supreme Court, the women had to correct that lawyer over 50 times for framing birth control as abortions. You know, I'm also think they're going to try to set us up um, as fear mongers and really negative and, and hating parenting and, and trying to be like, why are they shortchanging women and forcing them and convincing them to have abortions when, because they, they think they can't trust them to be parents. I think they're going to frame us as terrible also. And I'm wondering if they're going to try to sound rational with that sort of like, 
A 15-week abortion ban seems reasonable, although that would make them sound like total hypocrites. Which they are. I mean, it's also funny, like, pretending like abortion doesn't mm-hmm. sell itself, right? <laughs> we, have to, we have to sell abortion. Abortion sells right. itself. <laughs> I also think that they're going to double down on these sort of fake non-things, these kind of double speaks they do where they're like, you know, love them both. This idea that, like, doctors should act like pregnant people have two patients. And it's like, what does that mean in actual doctoring? Right. And that isn't how evidence-based medicine works. Or they're going to hold up these exceptions um, to rules, right? Like they love to talk about Rick Santorum's daughter, Isabella, who had trisomy 18 and is still alive. But like she's hospitalized every year. That's expensive care. And she is so much a rarity. And I feel like they like to take up these rarities and be like, everyone should like live as though this rarity is the standard. I think yeah. that's that's something I expect to see. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can all agree that they are going to constantly, constantly, constantly uplift fake clinics as though they're helpful. They pour a lot of money into these, you know, horrible machines of of convincing people not to have abortions and don't give any care. I'm just, we're going to hear a lot of that. We're going to hear so much. Actually, the two speakers I'm most interested in, that's pretty much what I expect them to talk about. Yep. Same here. Now, having said all that, like, how are they going to sound unified? There's a lot of factions. You know, I'm always curious as to because there's the all abortion all the time, no matter what. And then there's that maybe we need to compromise people. How are they going to navigate this conundrum they're in about being all in on pro fetus all the time? And their weird messaging around, say, we care about both. I'm going to actually counter what um what you said. I think that they're not going to talk about this 15, potential 15 or 12 week bans. I think they're actually going to go like with, I saw a sign that, that made me horrified. It said, from conception, no exceptions. And I think that's basically the Ooh. stance. Wow. And I think they will also completely ignore personhood and banning all abortion, which we know is their ultimate goal at the end of the day. They're just not going to say that part out loud because right. they know it's unpopular. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that that's right. Now, before we get to the news and then go watch and come back to see how our predictions play out, of these speakers that are out there, is there anyone in particular that you're like, I'm curious to hear what this person has to say and why they're there? I'm going to do the Black ladies. Jean Marie Davis and Aisha Taylor are two women, Black women, who are the only Black women speakers at this march. And they both went to visit fake clinics. And they're going to, I think, be used to prop up the value of these places that actually don't give any real value. Right. Kristen. You know me. I love a random person. Um, I love those outliers. I'm looking forward to what uh, an Orthodox bishop, Bishop John Abdallah, has to say. I was reading through a lot of what he had talked about. At one point, he had mentioned using children as a sacrifice for religion. And I thought that tracks. So can't wait to hear what you have to say. Yeah, that seems super pro-lifey. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to this this uh, husband and wife duo called Greg and Kath Laurie for two reasons. One They were part of the Jesus freak movement of the 70s, you know, when like it was like 
hippie church, but you were still anti-abortion and anti-gay. And they were part of this movement with this guy who ended up dying of AIDS. And I watched this movie about them and they just sort of left that part out. So they were like troubled teens who found Jesus through guitars. And um, but also they're super, super uh, when you look at their YouTube channel and it's very popular, they got 500 followers on YouTube and they're like have a mega church in uh, California and they always have like rock music at their church and shit. But they're also super get Israel back to the biblical borders kind of Christians. I'm wondering if they ask them to speak because of what's happening in the Middle East and to sort of center this faction of Christianity that supports Israel for these weird biblical reasons so that the rapture can happen. And they're very much those people. So I'm going to be interested to see, A, if they start spewing that and how, you know, certain Christianity must support these biblical borders, which are not borders, they're biblical borders of what? Um, so I'm curious about that. So hopefully we laid out for you who these people are. And I'm really excited to get back to talk about how they actually hold this bullshit off in the wake of them being the, the most abhorred people in America. Kristen, thank you for laying it out with us. And we're excited for you to come back and talk to us in our post game. Thanks, Kristen. See you in a little bit. See you soon. Okay, before we break down all the shenanigans of this week's March, we're going to run through some of our top abortion stories of the week. Liz, kick us off. This week, a Senate subcommittee finding revealed that all eight of the nation's largest pharmacy chains have routinely turned over prescription records of thousands of Americans to law enforcement agencies or other government entities secretly without a warrant. Yep, it's a serious flaw in HIPAA that does not require law enforcement to obtain a warrant before they make a lawful request for medical records. Guess HIPAA stands for Healthcare Inquiries Pro-Life Assholes Abuse. And over in Kentucky, burdens could surpass bourbon as their number one export. Kentucky representatives filed a bill that would require impregnators to pay child support starting at conception, whenever that is. So I'm not sure what the fetal child support covers since that embryo doesn't need shoes, clothes, or daycare, but this is definitely a fast track to fetal personhood and taking away even more rights from the pregnant people and handing them to anyone, whether they ask for them or not. Lawyers in Texas are asking for clarification from the Texas Medical Board as to when exactly a person is dying enough for doctors to legally intervene with life-saving abortion. A, no one thought to ask this until now. And B, will any Texas politician who's raised on debt is punishing abortion seekers going to accept the recommendation? Seems like we're going to get the same results you would after sitting a dog down and asking it not to lick its asshole in mixed company. And finally. Maine has moved decisively to enshrine the right to abortion and put it to the voters. But Republican Representative Lisa Keem opposed it, saying the language was too ambiguous and asked, does this apply to fathers who have this autonomy? A child in the mother's womb also belongs to the father. What the fuck? If you're pregnant in America, your rights are being given away like a car on Oprah. Look under your chair. You get their rights and you get their rights. <laughs> oh, man, what a week. And those are just some of the stories in this week's abortion news. We wanted you to have a decent weekend. It's crazy. Can you imagine? <laughs> yes. Yes, I can. Sadly, I wish oh. I couldn't, but I can. Oh, my gosh. Those are the stories that got our panties in a wad this week. As always, these stories will be in the show notes, and you can find the best and most up-to-the-minute resources on accessing abortion care and funding your care on our website, aafront.org. 
Our Charlotte chatbot on the bottom right of the screen will walk anyone anywhere in the country through their options and resources for abortion. All right, everybody, we are back and we watched this whole bloody mess that was the March for Life. Kristen is back joining us. Uh, what what do you think? What's your overarching thoughts? I mean, we just watched a 90-minute ad for fake clinics in the United States of America. Absolutely. That was basically uh, what they came, they came in hard and they kept hitting it. As we predicted. Yeah, absolutely, as we predicted. When I was watching it, it was really felt like this forced positivity, this absolute, oh my God, everything is great and amazing. And we're doing all of these wonderful things. And, you know, don't look at what's actually happening in the world. We're, we're definitely not losing or anything. Everything's yeah. great and fine. They The toxic positivity was awesome. And, and like the overarching theme, like when we all watched it together and our whole thing was they just laid in to their work with these fake clinics and then how they were defining these fake clinics in super broad terms, right? We help people we have with resources from when they come in, from when they're pregnant, from when they're after pregnant. But if you do something really good, you always have a detail about it, right? You know, we help this person get a house and help them keep their kids and got them insurance and did all this stuff. They never gave any particulars of how they help people. They just kept saying, we help people. No, they gave some particulars and the particulars were we introduced them to God. Yeah, that was that was stated explicitly. I need help. Here's Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing I think that was um in there trying to just, you know, put out there about the fake centers, Gene Mancini, who is the uh, executive director of the March for Life, and also Chris Smith, another politician that we'll hear about later, they both laid the statistic out that said 80% of Democrats and Republicans and pro-choice people support pregnancy resource centers. And that might actually be true depending on how you frame the question. Do you mm -hmm. support organizations that would help a person who needed resources with a pregnancy if they didn't have those resources? How many, how many people on the I would, right I now? would raise my hand for that. That sounds fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. And it just shows... Who's doing this polling is them, um, because if we were to do a poll that said, would you support organizations that center shaming and try to talk someone out of what they know to be best for them and tells them they'll provide them care, but only provides them a couple packs of diapers and tries to get them signed up for social programs that they're also working to dismantle? to fund their very organization. Would you support that? I don't think you right. get an 80% number. Or even if you put something as simple as, would you support a place that had some pregnancy resources, but it required that you listen to talk about religion? I think most Americans would not support that. Right. Or you have to come to our class, then we'll give you a few onesies. We, we're going to teach you how to be a parent, then you'll get our free stuff. That's exactly right. We'll teach you how to be a parent. And the it was about an hour long, just over an hour, maybe an hour and five minutes. Every single speaker somehow mentioned the work of these centers. And also, like, it, it was just the way that they mentioned these centers was terrifying in that they didn't mention anything else about what actually is happening with these abortion bans, right? 
that Kristen, you talked about the force positivity and that like these centers are helping all these people. And they talked at these centers as though anybody who's experienced in pregnancy will be just fine if they hit up one of these centers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this force positivity was, it was so prevalent. And they said several times, Jeannie Mancini and other people literally said, you got this when talking about people who may be dealing with the pregnancy that they are not comfortable with. They just said, you got this. And I'm like, that's not helpful at all. What does you got this mean? Yeah, what do you got? got, What? what You You got sepsis? You got sepsis? You got got this. You got sepsis. (laughs) You just work through that. You know what? Go for a jog. Do some Christian yoga. You got this, girl. I mean, this, yeah, it's like you were saying, Moji, the girl bossing through pregnancy. It was weird. And I was like, oh, it's really, it is also really fun to watch a clearly middle upper class blonde white lady who's never missed a day, a meal in her life say like, you got this. And it's like, you have a perspective on what, ma'am? Yeah, it's true. And, you know, one of the things that we were positing about uh, before is, you know, how are they going to sound sane? Right. How are they going to appeal to those soccer moms? And I think that they did a lot of that whole like dropping facts that aren't true. You know, like, again, the leader of this organization, Gene Mancini, just dropped this fake fact that said one in four people who choose abortion were coerced into their abortion. I have never heard that statistic. But in the same March, someone else said seven out of 10 people were coerced into their abortion. Yeah. So I'm like, you guys can't even get your consistency right in your own. You you pre-taped this. What do you mean? That was a pre-tape. You could have edited that out. Why are you giving us conflicting facts? It, it's just like, they just dropped that. And I guarantee you, they're going to drop either one of those fake facts over and over. It's either 70% or 25%, whatever. That is just simply... A number that statistically, where is that fact? You know, right. where is that from? Nowhere. It's like when, when they say they have a save outside of a clinic because someone leaves, it's anyone who has a maybe has a complicated feeling about their abortion, maybe didn't necessarily want to, but did it what's best for them? Coercion. Done. Everything's coercion. Mm-hmm. That's all it Everything. is. Everything. Or, or they pat themselves on the back for their lack of offering has been so inspiring that they talked them out of it. So yeah, I really felt like when they dropped those facts that and they just sound rational, it's like, wow, that's terrible that that many people are talked into their abortions. And I did notice that there was a real lack of fire and brimstone. So as we were talking mm-hmm. earlier in the show, like how are they going to show up knowing that America's like, we fucking do not co-sign on 95% of the shit you're saying. They came calm to the stage, but there was some, there was some people who tried to like run their shit. And Kristen, I know you saw, saw a guy with a sign, right? We were obviously watching the stream and I noticed a big sandwich board sign. This is language that, you know, pro-lifers don't normally use, but it said in huge letters, abortion is murder. I never saw that sign again when they were shooting the crowd <laughs> that magically never appeared. The March for Life people don't usually use that, but other anti-abortion organizations slide in. Yeah, I like that you said pro-lifer here, and I feel like our, everyone might not know the difference between a pro-lifer and an abolitionist, yeah. but like that's what you're referring to. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think the one fire and brimstone moment, you know, it was like, not surprising, but came from Chris Smith, who was one one of the uh, many men that they invited to the stage to speak. He's a congressperson from 
New Jersey, who has been a profound uh, anti-abortion zealot. And, you know, he he did some fish shaking. Let's listen to him and talk about it coming back on the other side. We reject the violence of abortion, dismemberment, child beheadings, and abortion pills that literally starve the baby to death. Okay, Chris. The thing that, about that kind of language is that is the very kind of language when repeated over and over again, as it is, is what inspires that person on the couch who wants to save the babies and feels like they need to go harm somebody who is beheading babies and starving them in the womb. That's also the language that we normally hear outside of clinics, right? That's yes. the language that when we are when we are counter protesting or doing any sort of clinic defense, that's the language that's being hurled at patients. And then when they go to some sort of court, they're like, "You guys were just trying to keep little old ladies from counseling people." And it's like, no, that's the language that we hear. But this is the respectability march, and so we got mostly the respectability anti-abortion uh, rhetoric, which is so he was an outlier today. That's he what was I'm an say. outlier. He was an outlier today on that stage. Do you think they were on the side of the stage like, oh God, somebody cut off his Oh mic. God, I think they were. I think they were. But Kristen, he was an outlier on the stage. I know you were watching some of the side rallies that were happening. Um, and I know you heard more of this rhetoric, like at the at the prayer service, they were, you know, calling for some crazy shit too, right? Yes, well, they have, you know, they always have a bunch of rallies and services. And one of their like national prayer rallies, they were honoring a bunch of people like Mark Hauk and, and others. And talk about who Mark Hauk is. Mark Hauk is the protester who was pushed a clinic escort and had charges against him. And those were ultimately dropped because apparently you can shove a clinic escort if you think he's being mean to you. And so he's this hero now because he got away with it and he's defending your right to sidewalk counsel. But along with him, they were honoring the prisoners of conscience. So it's all of these people that are in jail being charged with face, face charges, which is a federal charge. All of these folks are in jail and they're being sentenced and they honor them. Well, guess what? That is not civil. That is not PC. That is civil disobedience. That is a felony charge. And a clinic worker was actually harmed in one of these instances. You know, she was shoved over and knocked backwards. Like, those are the people that they're honoring. But you don't hear them talking about that on the main stage. Well, also, it's let's be clear, when somebody is is in prison because they have violated the FACE Act, the terror that patients feel and the terror that the clinics feel when those people burst into their clinic and start with the language of you are going straight to hell if you have your abortion, and those same people write down the license plates of providers and follow them home and put up wanted posters in their neighborhoods to say, you know, Dr. Jane Doe uh, lives at this address and is murdering babies. They act like it's the little old ladies with the rosaries, and these people are in jail because their presence is terrorism. Yes. You know, if you do abortion work, you go into it knowing that at some point, someone could come in and try and murder you. That is absolutely history. You have that target on your back. And I remember this one scenario of a clinic invasion, a rescue that happened where with Fidelis, who is in prison for related charges, and 
he had gone into the clinic as a companion, pretending to be someone with someone having an abortion. And when they realized and they were asking them to leave, he stood up, he opened his bag and pulled out a rope. And I remember this clinic worker telling me about how terrifying that was. Now, the rope was part of his garb to hold his cassock closed or whatever they call it. Because he's a prior or something. Yes. But you see this person who thinks you are a murderer stand up and pull a rope out of a bag. That Mm -hmm. is violent. That communicates Mm -hmm. a message, whatever they want to say about it. There was also a lot of, and I know it's going to shock people, this march was speaking to white people. Thousand percent. One thousand percent, right? And when you think about, there's a lot of Black churches, there's a lot of Hispanic churches who are present an anti-abortion message, right? Within their within their Christian mm-hmm. communities. These people did not care about that. And I feel like the white saviorism is something that I want to touch on because it was very prevalent there with who they had on stage and how they presented their traumas. And it was particularly annoying to me because the two Black women who spoke at this march, who I, was, I had my eyes on them, that's all they were asked to speak about, right? One talked about being trafficked. One talked about she had seemed to have had more of a middle-class life, but talked about just being conflicted with her pregnancy or having a partner who wasn't supportive of her continuing her pregnancy. And it was very much in both of them just framed in this. And then I found this fake clinic and that led me to Jesus. And now I have this baby and it saved my life. And I just feel like there are, there are speakers they could have had who could have talked like, in our ministry, we preach to this kind of insanity, but it's like, nope, we want two Black women and we want to make the white people feel like it's their job to tell Black people, Black women in particular, how to live their life. And they'll be rewarded for it. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm. And they'll yep. be rewarded for it. Mm-hmm. I want to wrap up and just kind of get final thoughts about where we think they're going to go from here. So it really was this patting themselves on the back for the fake clinics. It was uh, white saviorism. And it was the fire and brimstone came at their ancillary, you know, sort of side marches and side events that they had. But what I would love to hear from both of you is in the course of this, you know, gigantic couple hundred thousand people were there, right? At the course of this march, what do you think the post-row strategy is for them? I can't speak to their strategy, but the post-war world doesn't have doctors in it because they are expecting that these clinics that, as far as I know, don't provide any medical care are going to be there for all pregnant people at all times in any case. And I feel like if I was a trans person pregnant, the last place I'd want to have to go to for medical care would be any of these uh, houses of Jesus. You see this in their legislation. They are criminalizing doctors. They're giving 900-year terms, right? What is it? 90-year terms, millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars for performing abortions. I think they're just trying to make sure that doctors don't exist in the future to help pregnant people. And also by also now adding pregnant people into the criminalization It's like, without doctors, how are you going to end your pregnancy on your own? And you also then are now going to serve the penalties that have to do with that. Well, in the future, also doesn't include anyone who doesn't fit into their narrative. So, you know, the actual people who need abortions, they always like to say something like, let's make abortion unthinkable. Abortion is never going to be unthinkable. There are always going to be people with unintended pregnancies. And it also doesn't include the people that we are seeing all across the news 
in the courts who have suffered because of a lack of access of abortion. It does not fit their toxic positivity narrative. They want you to look straight and say, don't look to the right and don't look to the left. Just look at what we're telling you. It's very telling that they did not center the Texas 22 or Kate Cox, who they could have tried to somehow spin into, had you allowed us to help you, what you went through was tragic. But they just erased them from the narrative. And so I think it's important to remember this particular piece. They are erasing healthcare providers from the narrative, and they're erasing people who are actually harmed by their laws from the narrative, and they're trying to get away with it by saying that these cheerleading Christian centers that have a go-girl attitude are what's going to help people in the long run with pregnancies and children they may not want. And I think that is absolutely a shame. It's travesty. Yeah, it is a travesty. So let's look for no doctors in 2024 from them. So that feels like great. Y'all, this was a great conversation. Kristen, thank you for joining Moji and I. It's always fun to have somebody from the team and especially to have our uh, extremist whisperer on to help us talk about, you know, the details of, of what their shenanigans really mean for folks. I think it's really important. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, if you're if you're new to the pod and new to March for Life and especially new to fake clinics, we talked about them at length today and they centered them. But it, it's really important to learn who these clinics are and who runs them and what they do. And we have a whole program called ExposedFakeClinics.com that Kristen here runs, which uh, really lays out all their shenanigans and gives you an opportunity to really start advocating to expose who they are. And uh, you can also help out real clinics um, on our website at our adoptive clinic program as well. So check out ExposedFakeClinics.com because it is a really good introduction to just how horrible and harmful they are and dispels all their lies about that they do good work and you can help with their good work. Moji, I think it's time to move on to our fantastic guest. Dr. Grace Howard is an associate professor of justice studies at San Jose State University. She's an expert in policing pregnancy, reproductive law, and policy, so much so that she literally wrote a book on it. The Pregnancy Police, Conceiving Crime and Arresting Personhood comes out this June. Please welcome Grace Howard. Hi, Grace. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Grace. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. So you wrote an entire book on police and pregnancy called The Pregnancy Police, Conceiving Crime, Arresting Personhood. And it's going to be out in June, but we wish it was coming out tomorrow because the overarching theme is that people who are pregnant are now a separate legal class that is losing or has lost its fundamental rights. Can you talk about what that means? You know, essentially, historically, this has been true, and it is true today that people who are pregnant or who have the capacity for pregnancy have been carved out as like a separate group of people. And very frequently and most often as a group of people that doesn't have the same legal rights as others, as other similarly situated people. Um, I wish this book came out yesterday um, (laughs) for that reason, because post Dobbs now, a lot of these cases that have been in some ways hidden a little bit, not really part of the mainstream reproductive rights discourse, they are getting a little bit of attention now. We are seeing that these are happening all over the country, and we're really seeing the harm that happens when we treat people who are already vulnerable in this way as a, as a lesser legal class. It's interesting, too, because you you said people have these rights, and then they become pregnant, and then they just go away. Yeah. How does this set up fetal personhood? 
So fetal personhood has a, a big part to play here, but it's not the only thing that's going on. And one of the things I do in the book is I trace this shift from kind of maternal protection, where we're going to you know, regulate and control pregnant people because we need to protect motherhood, right? Mothers are so important for the nation. It's a national security issue. We're talking about white women too, right? Mm, yeah, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, that we really need to protect this group. And lots of bad things happened, right, under those laws too. But it was under the guise of protecting the pregnant person. When fetal personhood comes into play, like, we don't care about the pregnant person anymore, right? It's a shift. And so, yes, you're seeing various restrictions, various forms of control, some of them happening um, legally, some of them happening extra legally, but it's happening not because you are a pregnant human being <laughs> who needs to be protected and regulated. It's happening because we've decided that the thing that you're making in your body has more rights than you do. Scary. <laughs> and those kind of laws have been sort of, uh, as you said, around forever and sneakily slid in. And also some of them are co-signed by like people who know better, right? When you yeah. have things like vehicular homicide, when it comes to, you know, somebody who's pregnant or or the kind of things that people go, well, yeah, that seems right. It's like, you know, we all need to reassess what bodily autonomy means. We do. And I think it really lays bare a lot of the stigma um, that still exists, right? That a lot of this is ultimately, it's about policing motherhood itself and motherhood as femininity, right? Like if you're if you're a woman, if you're feminine, a mother is like the ultimate thing that you can be, especially to the state, right? As far as like they're considering your existence. And so that's something that you can do. And, you know, obviously there's been some touch tone moments since Dobbs and even in 2023 that have sort of pointed this out, whether it's Kate Cox having to leave Texas and the, the Texas Supreme Court ruling that, you know, she was not in enough harm to have an abortion. Um, the Texas 22 who are suing or Brittany Watts in Ohio, you know, charged with felony mishandling of a corpse for having a miscarriage in her home, mm -hmm. you know, and, and those are the things since post Dobbs that the media is finally talking about. But, you know, we know your research started, you know, when Roe became law. And so what I would love to ask is if you could share some of the different ways that this class of pregnant person that has had their rights stripped was happening since since Roe was law of the land. And I'm thinking of cases like Marisol Munez, for example. So something that comes to mind for me and something that I saw a lot when I was doing this research is that people who you might be surprised by, um, they sometimes support these really restrictive and controlling measures. I started calling it fetal personhood for liberals. And it's for liberals to the extent that liberals still often espouse, you know, caring about personal responsibility and, and things like this. Because the criminalization of pregnancy has found its foundation in very racist, classist kind of legacy, it's not surprising that we see people supporting things that they probably shouldn't. And I noticed something in the Supreme Court oral arguments for Dobbs. There was a moment where Justice Thomas mentioned a court case out of South Carolina, not by name, granted, which maybe is why this happened. But, you know, the, the attorney arguing in favor of abortion rights essentially conceded in this exchange that we understand if states want to punish pregnant people for their pregnancy outcomes. We get that. And that was just so horrifying to me. Um, you really see that there's this kind of 
carved out, we understand women not wanting to be moms, but we draw the line at protecting moms, protecting moms who maybe use drugs when they're pregnant or who maybe attempt suicide while pregnant. And that was something that really stood out to me as like, we are conceding so much if even the pro-choice people are willing to go that direction. So my, my book, I primarily am looking at three states. I do kind of a nationwide legal overview, but I do um, case studies of over a thousand arrest cases, South Carolina, Alabama, and Tennessee. And there are all different kinds of things. We've treated pregnant people differently, right? We see um, we're going to force you to have medical interventions, or we're going to prevent you from having medical interventions, all of these kinds of things. The book, I'm primarily looking at the legal side, right? And so we do see people who are still pregnant or who have just given birth. They are being held criminally culpable for things that are not explicitly criminal a lot of the time, right? So in these three study states, two of them, they didn't do this through the legislatures. It happened through the courts, right? And so they, just like a couple of goobers, start arresting people, right? It's like uh, you get a nurse, you get someone in CPS, you find friendly law enforcement. And if you are targeting primarily low-income folks who don't have a lot of resources to fight back, doesn't really matter that it's not strictly legal to be making these arrests, they get away with it. And so the things that people have been getting in trouble for, the earliest arrest in my case is from 1986, and it's from Tennessee. And it is a case where a woman attempted uh, to end her life, and she survived. By the way, suicide, not a crime, right? We've realized that that's not helpful, so it's not a crime, unless you're pregnant. She was pregnant when she did this. And so Ultimately, she was charged with uh, performing an unlawful abortion. Um, there was an insanity plea, right? But this stuff is this stuff is old, right? It's, this is in the mid '80s. Other kinds of things that people are getting in trouble for. Most of them are related to drugs, and this is an area where I know so many of us are uncomfortable with the idea of pregnant drug users, even though the crack baby myth has been like full on disproven. And the people who were initially doing that research are like, stop, right? Like you're doing it wrong. We like haven't learned that lesson. Oh, okay. Crack is bad. But like meth, maybe we got to freak out about meth, right? It's like whatever right. drug is politically salient or that we're panicking about at a time, we create a pregnancy associated syndrome and we start punishing people for that. People need to realize one, there are way worse things for pregnancy than like most illegal drugs. Um, and two, I think the general consensus is the war on drugs has been an abysmal failure. And I think it's weird that anyone would expect something different to come out when you're applying that to pregnant people. And, and I, I can see this in the harm reduction community. It's so stigmatized. People who ordinarily are so game to, right, we're distributing free needles, we're creating safe use clinics, right, to help folks who are struggling with substance use disorder. So many of them, if the person's pregnant, you see that punitive edge turn right back on. So it's this really deep-seated stuff about who is fit to procreate and who isn't, who's fit to parent and who isn't, who's performing their femininity appropriately and who isn't, right? And people of color and people who use drugs sort of automatically find themselves in that unfit category, right? Regardless of anything else about them. Other things that people have gotten in trouble for in, in my study, some of them were really weird. So, so this case is from Tennessee 
In this case, uh, a woman had outstanding warrants for her arrest. And so, you know, when I think she was speeding, driving. And so when the cops tried to pull her over, like she didn't pull over. So she's going to get in trouble for that. She's like driving in her car. She pulls over. She gets out of the car. She starts fleeing on foot. Eventually they catch her and they tag on in addition to, you know, evading arrest, reckless driving, whatever. They tag on a reckless endangerment of a minor charge because she was pregnant while all that was happening. Right. And that's just like so full on arbitrary, like the pregnancy was fine. It's a whole mess. So I think it's really easy for some folks to say, oh, we don't need to care about this. Those are those are those bad moms, those drug users, people breaking the law. They're criminals. I don't know. I think we should care about them anyway. But but if you don't yes. you really care because they're coming for you next, dude, like right? if they can get you for all of this stuff that isn't even law. Of course, they're you're gonna eat deli meat during pregnancy. Too many sprouts, brie, like sushi. It's funny when I, I listen to you talking about this book, and when listening to it, and really thinking about because I I like to believe I'm sometimes a little bright side. I like to believe that healthcare workers aren't out here maliciously trying to get people sent into jail, right? Yeah. After they had a C-section, like you know, bleeding and leaking milk and put apart from their newborn for. X amount of time. But I do think there's something about people thinking they're doing the right thing by policing pregnant people. And so like, what are your thoughts about lack of clarity either around the law or around what people think their responsibility is as like mandated reporters that would make that would compel them to sort of start these cases against pregnant people? I love this question. I'm glad you asked it. One of the things that I found in my study and other folks that are looking at this issue have found similar numbers. Uh, about three-fourths of all of the arrests made that I studied, the criminal charges were initiated because a healthcare provider made a report, right? And that's terrible because we really need to be able to tell our healthcare providers anything and everything, right? And this is a pretty strong incentive to not do that, right? To actively withhold information or maybe just not even get care to begin with. Um, I will share that I interviewed some of these prosecutors for the book. And with the exception of one guy, (laughs) most of them had a very like benevolent kind of patriarchal attitude. So these women don't know what's good for them. They're not going to do the right thing unless we kind of, you know, make them. So mm, we're going to have to do it sometimes. You see the disdain creep out, though. Like, if you do any digging at all, sometimes you'll hear them say something like, using drugs during pregnancy is the same thing as hijacking a school bus. So you see, I think there's a misunderstanding, one, about the harm of drug use and also how substance use disorder even works, what kind of treatments are appropriate, all of this kind of stuff. My next project, I'm about to interview some nurses because I really do want to understand how this is happening. Sometimes it's happening fully haphazardly, right? Like a nurse at a hospital decides she's going to start reporting these cases. Sometimes that's really all it is. Sometimes it's because the state law has changed, right? This is the case in Alabama, for example. And you know now you're supposed to report, it's considered legally child abuse, right? If you like drink a glass of wine at two hours pregnant, you're a felony child abuser? Yikes. Yeah. (laughs) So they're legally compelled. Have they been to France? I know, right? Yeah, they're doing all of it, the brie and the wine. Yeah. Yeah. My mom. Yeah, right. So so it's really strange. I think some of them, I mean, they have an ethical obligation to protect their patients, 
I have to imagine that there are people who are doing what they can to not comply. I really hope that that's true. Um, but I know a lot of hospital kind of legal departments, they're so afraid of being sued. And so they are telling their employees that they're obligated to do this. They have to do the test. They have to do the reports. It's a whole mix. And it really depends on where you are. That's one of the things that's like been so shocking in putting this book together is you know, we're supposed to be able to understand what, as citizens, we are legally obligated to do or not do. And like, they're just making stuff up. Yeah. Like, there's no way to predict what you're actually supposed to do. That is a trap. That is just a straight up trap. And I know you want to focus on those three states, but it is happening around the country. It's happening. Oh, yeah. every- you're safer in New York, but you're not necessarily safe. And I also just want to say, too, that we foundationally live in a country whose basis is white supremacy and it, there's racism. So we have to also acknowledge that there is implicit bias and racism within the healthcare profession. Right. And so I just want to put that out there that like there's garbage. There's garbage people who do all jobs. <laughs> There's people who shouldn't be in those lines of work, right? I think we really need to redo the way we do medical education. I mean, this is related to Black maternal mortality rates as well, right? Like, we can't separate these things. Some of them do have that full-on disdain. Like, um, her name is Shirley Brown. She's a nurse in South Carolina. And this case went to the Supreme Court. It's uh, Ferguson versus City of Charleston, South Carolina. They were drug testing almost exclusively for Black women. And this was, you know, crack crisis stuff. And Shirley Brown is just a nurse and she like got this ball rolling to start doing it. She is like a blatant and explicit racist, Um, right? You can see it in her medical notes. So like that's absolutely happening. I know that there has been um, drug stuff again. There's this tool that you're supposed to use to objectively measure the newborn experiencing withdrawals. Um, It's called the Finnegan scale. There are, I'm sure, other other tools that you can use to do this, right? It's supposed to be objective. No, there's so much data showing that it's not applied in an objective way, right? So one of the things is like, is the baby, is it a high-pitched baby cry? It's like, what define high-pitched, right? Like, am I more likely to interpret this baby as having a baby bitching? (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm glad you mentioned, yes, this is happening all over the country. And as a Southern transplant now living in California, this is actually really important to me to emphasize. I think that there is a tendency among um, liberals and progressives to want to put every bad thing in the South and only in the Mm -hmm. South. And that is not what's happening. So you mentioned New York. New York has arrested so many folks. I mean, there are bananas cases that come out of New York even out of New York City. Well, New York just took abortion out of the criminal code two years ago. Yeah. So let's be clear on that. California does it, right? And we're supposed to be this big haven. Um, But, you know, that we just recently, there was a case a woman accidentally gave birth alone at her house. She passed out and her baby died. And they charged her for that, right? So like, yeah, there, there are no havens. Um, it's not just a Southern thing. And I would also add, as a political scientist who studies the law and does not practice law, I'm very critical of the law. The law is not enough to stop this bad stuff from happening. You have states where it explicitly says in the criminal code, you cannot use this law to punish a pregnant woman. And they'll use that law to punish a pregnant woman. Right. Right. Like if you don't have oversight, on the way that these laws are being enforced, it really doesn't matter what the law is. And that that should scare everyone. Yeah. 
you know, Grace, um, final question. We're talking to you on the day the March for Life is happening in D.C. We've talked earlier in the show just about what the march is and just sort of the history of hypocrisy. And we've hit some of their things. You know, their theme this year, as we talked to you, seems so ironic. And the theme is with every mother for every child, you know, except the ones we throw in jail, of course. So I wish I wish you could close out by speaking a little bit to the hypocrisy of them claiming to be, and I'm air quoting everywhere, pro-life, <laughs> and yet advocating for policing pregnant people. Yeah, I mean, it's only hypocrisy if we meet them where they're at when they say they actually care. And they don't. And we see this with like everything that they do, right? I mean, how many folks are voting for expanding our various social safety nets, right? Like zero. <laughs> it's not what they believe in. Really, this is not about protecting moms. It's not about protecting babies. It is about punishing the people who you don't want, right? Like to be a part of your world. Like yeah. We can go that deep, right? Like anything that disqualifies you from being seen as perfect and upright and clean and moral, which no human is completely, like everybody poops, right? Um, <laughs> if you can't meet that false ideal, then you are up for condemnation by these people. It is not every mother and it is not every child. If they really cared about those things, we'd see it in other non-abortion related policies and we don't. Right. Now, Grace, I know we have to go, but this has been a really heavy conversation. And I'm wondering if through your research and what you've done, where you've seen results when communities know and when communities take action and giving people some hope, how can we take action to elevate these stories and to make sure that the policing of pregnant people gets shut down? We have to do everything. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm a person, I don't have a lot of faith in our political and legal institutions, but if you are in these institutions, I want you to do everything you can to shut this down. We need to make sure we're not electing prosecutors that are going to um, be using the law in this way and these overzealous ways. We also vote for judges in a lot of places. So don't forget those like very local positions. They matter a lot. I do hope that people become more comfortable talking about these kinds of things, drug use during pregnancy, pregnancy loss, self-managed abortion. Um, these are all related issues. I don't know. I hope that we can really humanize folks who have been so dehumanized. It's just silly. Um, like everybody messes up sometimes. And a lot of the stuff that we perceive as messing up isn't. And we are all trying to cope with these fully unjust systems. So like meet people at their humanity. I don't know. I want all the civil disobedience uh, as well. I hope I would say if you are a healthcare provider, some things to remember, you probably, unless you're in like a couple places, you're probably not legally obligated to do these reports. So don't, don't drug test your patients if you can help it and be careful what you write down um, because all of that stuff can be used in criminal cases. So, you know, you can conspire along with us to help keep people free. Well, we'll take care of the, uh, the take into the street civil disobedience part. I promise you. <laughs> And your research is really going to help us enlighten folks to this. And when your book comes out, please come back so we can really drill down on the, all the shenanigans that I know will be happening between now and then. Grace Howard, thank you for doing this work and for elevating the voices of people who are marginalized and who are victims of this and for helping all of us understand that we are responsible for everyone we live in community with. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure.
the pregnancy police conceiving crime arresting personhood drops this June. Everybody get a copy. And also donate to the Repro Legal Defense Fund at reprolegaldefensefund.org because they are doing the work, being the lawyers, helping these folks. Mochi, that's our show. It was a big one. It was a lot of show, Liz. It was a lot of show. We threw a lot of stuff at you. If you couldn't absorb it all, we have an incredible resource, a website called Hypocrites Unmask, where we literally break down a lot of the different factions in the anti-abortion movement so that you can learn more and also find out where you can take action against them with us. And also just like, I'm so excited. And I want to thank our guests like doubly because Kristen came on, really just dropped some knowledge about like March for Life. Brought her A-game. Brought her A-game. And, you know, who better than Grace Howard to have to talk about, you know, in their strategies, it is to further criminalize pregnancy and getting to know Grace Howard and having this incredible tome that's coming out in June. I'm so thrilled Grace could be here with us. And if you liked it and you learned something, you know what? Maybe you want to like, maybe you want to subscribe. Maybe you want to show some love with a five-star rating and stay connected with us on social media. We're at Abortion Front on all the platforms. Let's make a difference together and have some fun doing it. Looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? We've got a five-part activist training series, Operation Save Abortion, at operationsaveabortion.com. And visit our super cool activist calendar, which is full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. For those looking to learn more about how to use the power of storytelling and testimony when it comes to the fight for reproductive equity, Abortion Action Missouri is hosting Storytelling 101 training on Thursday, January 25th. You can sign up for the virtual session using the link in our activist calendar. And you don't have to live in Missouri. It's a really good storytelling opportunity if you're just trying to figure out how to tell your story. So don't let the Missouri part throw you off. <laughs> Next week, guests, I'm so excited. Florida State House Rep Anna Escamani will be joining us and talk about what's going on in her state. She's going to tell us about the latest pile drive to end abortion access going on there and give us updates on the current initiative to get abortion on the 2024 state ballot. Plus, RuPaul's Drag Race superstar Shay Coulee will be here to spill the tea about their Love Ball tour starring next month. And join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. And finally, we leave you with the defrocked March for Life priest Frank Pavone showing his whole ass as Kristen mentioned earlier with that fetus on the altar. Yuck. Here before me lies a baby killed by abortion in the second trimester of pregnancy. But today we are going to pray with this baby and we are going to let this baby's body bear witness to our nation as we begin the process to elect our next president. Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.